Hi, friends. It's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Today, the show is blowing up. The problem is you can't listen to it streaming online because everyone on Twitter is telling me that, but they'll have to figure that one out. But at least the phones are working. And so I'm delighted to talk to the Weekend Warriors. And the lines are lit up. I love it. The number's 877-710-ESPN. Put that in a safe place in your house because you always know you can get me on a Saturday. And at 8.15, my guest, the, the great Dr. Paula Bernstein, an OBGYN doctor for many years at Cedars, retired, and guess what she's doing? She's writing detective stories about a fictional detective, Hannah Klein, who used to be an OBGYN. It's a fascinating idea to take the world of medicine and turn it into detective novels. I can't wait to ask her how this came about. But it made me think all week about the world of art, the world of sports, the world of surgery, where the storytelling that can come from the world of medicine happened in my lifetime. Well, there's a movie called Jurassic Park, written by this guy, Dr. He's a doctor, Michael Crichton. Went to medical school, became a doctor, but never practiced medicine. He's using what he learned in the world of medicine to make some of the greatest movies and storytelling that the world has ever seen. Jurassic Park, I think, until Titanic came, was the number one movie in the world. Diane Sawyer sat down with him. Why did you leave medicine? How would you do all this? How do these topics come about? Here he is. And his little notion about genetic experiments and the hubris of scientists who think they could control everything they create. This time, the detail came out of his mind. Every creature, a little bit of Crichton. How did you decide how they should move each of them? I'd be there working for hours and hours, and my assistant would come in at 10 o'clock in the morning. And one day she came in, and she was very alarmed. She said, what are you doing? And I think she thought I was having a seizure because I was going But I was, I was just being a raptor, you know, trying to bite somebody's limbs. <laughs> He was in medical school. He's six foot nine, always the tallest person he's ever met, and felt weird, felt like an outsider. And he felt really like an outsider when he went to medical school. Listen to the story that Diane Sawyer has. I was really uncomfortable. You know, I was the tallest person in the, the world, as far as I could tell. Older kids chased me home and... I don't think there's any question that I did have a kind of withdrawal. When he got to Harvard Medical School, he withdrew again. A sensitive, questioning student shocked at the way they were training doctors to be imperious, impersonal. The most common thing that people want from their doctors is time. And he said they get pills. So he understood something's wrong here. You know, but when you think about it, why do they want the time? What, what does the time mean? 
want time. They want to talk. They want to have some. I think that's that's a kind of healing that can occur, a verbal communication. More and more, medical school became simply material for the thrillers he'd begun writing, as his insistent questioning at Harvard made him a rebel and a pariah. I was becoming accustomed by my third year to often eating meals in the cafeteria alone. So verbal communication, the healing powers of storytelling, all of a sudden it occurs to him, I'm going to heal people with storytelling. And then I sold this book, The Andromeda Strain, and everyone wanted to have lunch with me. It's a very creepy experience. The Andromeda Strain, in the 1960s, his first giant book and movie deal. He left medicine and moved to Hollywood, but this intense Easterner was like a Calvinist at a carnival. Because success seemed so easy and so empty, Crichton plunged into the first of a series of depressions, and three marriages ended in bruising divorce. Michael Crichton figured it out. There's healing in storytelling. And if you know anything about medicine, you have fertile grounds with which to pick. What about the whole idea of medicine as a story, but not from a doctor, but from the other side, the patient side? Yes, you can figure that out as well. The TV show Quincy starring Jack Klugman, he realized there's something really special about medicine, and I'm going to use it. Here's an episode from Quincy where the medical examiner has to be a detective. The angle of the bullet tells us that you were in a fight and the guy got shot in self-defense because of the angle of the bullet through the bone. This is an old show, Quincy. Save your neck. Of course, I'm trying to save my neck and I'm trying to save yours too. You'll kill me, it'll be life in jail for you. It is already. No, that's what I'm trying to tell you. The statute of limitations ran out on the burglary a long time ago. Hey, how about Charlie? Doesn't run out on murder. Well, it was self-defense, wasn't it? How'd you know about that? From the angle of the bullet wound on the thigh bone. You see, it was straight downward. Straight downward. It would have been impossible for anybody else to inflict that wound. I figured you and Trout were struggling for the gun while he held it. And that is the real deal. I did a, a rotation in forensic medicine with the New York City, the Manhattan coroner's office. They are figuring out who did what crime scenes because of anatomy and what they see pathologically. Jack Klugman did not want to do this show. He was in The Odd Couple. He won an Emmy for being Oscar Madison. Listen to how this came about his appreciation for the fertility of medicine and storytelling. They kept sending me sitcoms. And one was, because uh, I had won two Emmys with that stuff. And Fred, what's Fred Silverman? Silverman. He then was head of ABC and went up and he laid a whole lot of stuff in front of me. And I said, I don't want to do it. He went into his blue book, which is a special half-hour sitcom. I said, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do a series. Well, guess what? He got convinced this is how this all happened. This is a better story than the damn Hollywood. So that year went by, and then the next year, 77, I think it was, Benny Jameson, who was my, used to be my agent, a dear friend of mine, said to me, Quincy, I've read it. I don't want to do this. But I forgot to call her back. 
Yeah. And we were very good friends. So I was in the shower when the phone rang and I came out and answered it. She said, what are you, some kind of big shot now? I said, what? I sent you a script three weeks ago. You don't call, you don't tell. I said, well, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, Why did he have to tell us he was in the shower? That's what I want to know. Uh, Monique, what happened was, I've been thinking about it. It's very interesting, you see, because it's uh, two heroes in one. He's a cop and he's a doctor. So, and I'm making up a whole story, and I'm starting to sell myself to this thing. I swear. I said, well, but I'll call you tomorrow. I thought of all those things. It's right, these two heroes in one. And I could be a muckraker. Two I heroes. Said, so I called next day. I said, I want to have a meeting with Glenn Larson, who created it. It was terrible. Terrible that way. He hated Glenn Larson, the guy who created Quincy. But he's fascinated that you can be a cop and a doctor. Fertile territory. So we had a meeting, and yeah, sure. Muckrake, yeah. Yeah, messages, all that stuff. So I said, okay, so I decided to do it. Fred Silverman said, Tabby Gresham called my aide and said, he turns down my good stuff and now he goes and plays an undertaker. He said, he's not an undertaker. He said, but he's dealing with death. It'll be a bomb that won't last. Everybody predicted it wouldn't last three shows. It became a huge hit. But then we do. We were only going to do four hour and a half shows. Because yeah, it's the NBC mystery movie yes, series, Yes, that's right. right. It was, that's just it. So after that, they said, would you do it as an hour show? I said, okay, but it's got to be done my way. And no more cops and robbers. They said, fine, fine, fine. But the scripts I'm getting are cops and robbers. So I do about four or five cents in. No, I don't want to do it anymore. So they start to sue me. I said, fellas, you want to do the cops? Said, fine, get another boy. I don't want to do it. That's all. You can sue me. You can do what you want. I'm not doing it. I'm sick. He got throat cancer. He's sick. He could bail out. But he didn't. He just wanted to get Glenn Larson fired. They said, what do you want? I said, you got to give it to him. But he created it. I don't care. It's him or me. You want him? Stay with it. I don't mind. I don't really know what I want to do a series anyway, but I certainly don't want the cops and robbers. So the ratings were pretty good on those hour shows. So they got rid of him, but they got rid of him, like, uh, gave him a pot full of money. They lost a lot of money and a lot of uh, every royalties. So I went back and then started working, did my show. About a year later, I saw him at a party. He came over to say hello. I said, don't come and say hello to me. He said to me, stay well. You're making me rich. Oh. <laughs> well, it was touche. I laughed. It was very funny. Because the cops and robbers part is what Quincy was. But it was the medicine part that Jack Klugman loved. Now listen to this. He has a brother named Pete who got bone cancer. He's a patient who's going to be dying in Philadelphia. And his brother, Jack Klugman, the actor, says, come to California, live with me. He's a paint salesman. He doesn't know from show business. But medicine is so fertile as a means for storytelling. Listen to what happened when Pete came to live with his brother, the actor. I had a funny thing. I had a brother. One of my brothers had cancer. And he was living in Philadelphia, and it was bone cancer. And it was, I went to see him, and it was icy and snow, and I said, Pete, you can't stay here. Well, I said, you fall down in the snow, you break a bone, you're dead, for God's sake. Come out to California, live with me. Well, I do. We'll find something, come on. We'll find something. Listen to what happened. So I came out to California, got him a little apartment, and he came to work for me. So he was there about a week, and he said, listen, I got an idea for a Quincy show. I said, Pete, he was, a, he was an insurance man, a pain cell. Pete, 
take the 600 a week. Enjoy it with your wife. <laughs> Come on, you don't know anything about the business. No, I want to participate. He said, I said, Pete, you don't know anything about it. Look at this idea, he said. I looked, I showed him what was wrong, and he said, all right, I'll, find, I'll do the research on it. He'll do the research. He did. Pete, his brother, who doesn't know anything about TV, but he knows everything about medicine because he's a patient with bone cancer, ends up writing 17 of the best episodes of the TV show Quincy. Amazing. Came back about two weeks later with this show, which turned out to be the show that had legislation about orphan diseases. This guy who had never, ever been near show business in any form, we did 17 of his ideas. That was 17 of the best shows we ever did. So you can live your life being something you're not. He said, he put up a picture of five kids, handicapped kids on horses, equestrian farm. He said, there's a show. It's being closed, this place. Yeah, and he went on to set records with that TV show with his brother writing the episodes. Medicine. It's fascinating because, trust me, if you got to figure out what the diagnosis is, it's no different than being a detective to try to figure out who did what in the crime scene. It lends itself to it in art, in sports, and in surgery. And coming up next, I can't wait to talk to my friend, my good friend, who was an OBGYN for so many years and decided she's retiring. I'm going to write detective mystery novels, and the detective is going to be a doctor. The great Dr. Paula Bernstein, coming up next here on the Weekend Warrior Show on 710. ESPN. This is Keyshawn in the morning. My man, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show starts your Saturday morning. Join the doc from 7 to 9 a.m. But don't miss my show, Monday morning on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. At 42 years old, you know what your new nickname is for me? <laughs> Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. You're not Matthew from Santa Monica anymore. You're Mr. Preop. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. We're having so many crazy technical difficulties. We're not streaming like you all usually like to listen. Hopefully the podcast will uh, happen. But miraculously, we're getting uh, phone calls, except I can't seem to get Dr. Bernstein through the busy signal. So in the meantime, I can take a call. Why don't I do that? Maybe that'll free up a line. All right. We've got uh, Mike. Okay. Mike, you're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Okay, I'm uh, calling about my wife. She had ACL surgery. They did it with a patella tendon. Her own or a, uh, or a cadaver? Her own. Okay. And uh, then she did her meniscus on the same knee, and now she needs a knee replacement, and she's been contemplating the nano knee. Okay. And I was wondering what you knew about that. Uh, you know, I, this is like a, a one-time thing. I don't want her to make a huge mistake. Um, how, how can I be politically correct here is all I'm going to say. Um, and so this is the argument, uh, not argument, but all the statement that I'm going to make, cause I can imagine this is, uh, fraught with all kinds of political nonsense, but I feel an obligation for 33 years as a surgeon 
to make sure I am using what I believe is the best equipment, the best surgeries to take care of patients. Um, And I feel an obligation that if something comes along that is groundbreaking, that really is better than what I currently do to take care of my patients, guess what? I have an obligation to go learn that operation or go use that equipment. And so my my wife says I never answer the question, so I'm going to answer the question. I don't do that, and then therefore you must logically assume it must be for a reason. It's not the difference between a Lexus and a Mercedes. In my opinion, it's it's beyond that. It's not just lateral movements that they're all comparable. There's a reason I'm choosing not to, and without getting into trouble, I'm just going to tell you I'm not interested in doing that. The technology of using a CAT scan before doing knee surgery is a great one. And in cases where uh, the anatomy is really unusual and distorted, I will do that um, and build the, the jigs to use. But as a routine for what your wife needs, to have to write a check for a big amount of money, I, the whole thing is something I'm not interested in. And that's my answer to you. So I'm not here to throw it under the bus. I choose not to use it, and I'm not interested in it. Does that help? That helps a lot. I, I appreciate it. You know, Thank you very much. And the one thing we don't have a lot of in our society right now is honesty and being honorable and doing the right thing. You know, I live by the the treatise that the softest pillow to sleep on at night is a clear conscience. It seems so simple to say that, and of course everybody's like that. But guess what? They're not. Not everybody really cares to sleep on a soft pillow that's a clear conscience. You care. I care. But we are surrounded by people who don't. And for that reason, some of the stuff I object to. You'll hear me rant and rave about cortisone shots and stem cells and all this other stuff. You know, they have the chutzpah to say, I'm an anti-aging clinic. Okay, good. How are you an anti-aging clinic? Last time I checked, we all age and we're all going to die. But how can you say? So we live in a society now where you get to say whatever you want and you can apologize later. I don't like that. Tell me the truth from the get. I'm big. I'm a grown-up. I can handle the truth. Don't tell me stuff just to inflate my ego or make me want to buy that car. I don't like that. Tell me the truth. And that's the problem that I have. All right? I hope that helps. And thank you for listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, Mike. Thank you. All right. God bless you. All right. Since we're having trouble getting her on, that's amazing. Oh, do I want to talk to her? All right. Let's do this. Let's play Jolene, and I will tell the Marcellus Wiley story and see if she could call in like these other folks managed to call in. But I'm sure it's not her fault. I'm sure it's the systems themselves. So this is a song, Jolene, that Dolly Parton wrote, and it may be autobiographical, I'm not sure, but this is being covered. So the reason we're playing this song is because it's, a, it's country music, and I, for those of you who don't like it, country music is storytelling. And this is Dolly Parton song at its greatest sung by Jolene who has the most amazing voice but it's a story about you can you're so beautiful you can take my man 
please don't. So it made me think, because I heard it this week, and I just love watching these YouTube backyard sessions with Miley Cyrus. And it made me think of Marcellus Wiley, because he told me this unbelievable story. Because once I said to him, did you ever meet Michael Jordan? Yes, I did, Dr. Clapper, Marcellus said. I I was a big shot now, and he's big. Marcellus is 6'4", 270 pounds of solid muscle. He said, I signed my first NFL contract. I'm so proud of myself, as he should be, coming out of Columbia University. He's the greatest athlete to ever come out of Columbia University. He said, and I have this beautiful girlfriend, and his wife, and Marie is just beautiful. But I don't think this was her. This is before he got married. He said he's at an away game, staying in the hotel, and he gets into the elevator with this beautiful girl, his girlfriend. Who gets into the elevator? Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan looks at Marcellus and goes, Hey, Marcellus. Marcellus says, Hi, MJ. <laughs> and Marcellus says, His girlfriend? Starts going, oh, my God, we're in the elevator with Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan's now looking back at this pretty girl. And the whole time, Marcellus is saying, Jolene, please don't take her away. Oh, my God. So then there you go. Storytelling. Nobody does it better than Marcellus Wiley when it comes to talking about sports. And nobody does it for humanity better than Dolly Parton and Miley Cyrus singing it. Well, if the phones ain't working, I'm going to tell stories because I'm good at that. And coming up next, I will tell one. Because I took a robot class. You know how the latest buzz is a robot should do your surgery? Can you imagine me with the robot? It's like Bobby Fischer taking and playing chess against the computer. Bobby Fischer beat the computer. Robbie Clapper is going to beat the robot. But I need to tell you what's up with the robot as they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. That artificial intelligence, it's coming. The number is 877-710-ESPN. God help you if you can get through. <laughs> well, you're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. What's going on? It's Max. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday morning then with my friend, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. It's the most entertaining thing in the world. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. From schwitzing like a piece of tuna fish. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Well... Very disappointed that the systems are not working, but we're going to power through. We're going to make it. One of the patients that I did this week cannot wear jewelry. She's allergic. And when you come to see me and you're bone on bone and you need an implant in your hip, your knee, your shoulder, and I'm talking resurfacing your hip, your knee, your shoulder. Not the old days of taking the whole joint out and putting a big metal hinge in. We are much more elegant than that. And the technology keeps improving. 
But this particular patient did a blood test with an allergist, and she was full-on allergic to nickel. And nickel is subtly present in cobalt chrome, in stainless steel. And if you now implant that inside somebody, you now run the risk of having a rejection of the implant because of their allergic reaction to metal. So I did my homework and looked around at an implant that's been around a long time where they don't use metal that has any chance of nickel because that's what she was allergic to. Titanium is helpful, but you need also something stiffer than titanium. The titanium can work on the shin bone, tibia side of the joint, and the polyethylene plastic, sure, that's no problem as the replacement of the meniscus. But the femoral side, the thigh bone side, needs something more durable, particularly when you're talking about knee surgery. And there is a metal called oxinium. And so I went looking and found a great company called Smith & Nephew who makes, and the design is by my good friend from special surgery, Stephen Haas, who he and I were residents together in the 80s. And it's a terrific design. He's a genius. And so I went looking and found, and Gilbert is his name, the rep, and this week, it was just awesome to be able to recognize that this would be a problem for this patient, leading to stiffness and pain and rejection of the implant if there was any trace of nickel. Now, there are surgeons who say, ah, it's just trace, it won't be a problem. But I wasn't going to do that. I wasn't going to take that chance. Because maybe they're right with some of the patients they took care of. But I'm not doing that. If you tell me that you have an allergy, then I'm going to respect that and go find something. And the nuances, the differences, I can get through. But what was particularly enjoyable for me is the young resident that I helped train for five years. He's been a guest on the show, Eitan Debbie. He spent a year last year working with Dr. Haas doing this implant. And I called him. I said, Eitan, you're going to come and assist me. I've done these before, but it would surely be great for the patient's sake to have you there, the nuances. It's been a while since I did this system. I can do knee surgery, you know, I do thousands of them, done thousands of them, but it would be great, why not? Have as much nuance as you can. And I just have to tell you, as a teacher, one of the callers earlier, when the phones were working, was a teacher. As a teacher, what incredible joy it gives you to see your student 
excel. And between Wednesday having Dr. Little help me in surgery on the man from San Francisco who had his pelvis broken that I did a hip replacement on, and then on Friday to end the week, operating with another disciple, it was just one beautiful week. And now I understand why storytelling and medicine really do belong together. It could just lends itself to it. And so last week, speaking of not being able to teach something, is a robot. That subtlety, that nuance of feel, the difference between a home run operation on your knee and not a home run is the tensioning and the soft tissue, the feel of how the kneecap tracks, how the ligaments feel. These are subtleties that, you know, you do this for 33 years. No matter what you do for a living, you get a sixth sense. You get subtleties. Now, if you're brand new at surgery, yeah, having a robot punch these buttons, do this and do that and listen to what the robot says, I guess it's great for you, but it's different. For me, being an artist makes your life better, whatever you do for a living. And particularly if I'm doing a job that requires using my hands, the subtleties that an artist has makes my world of orthopedic surgery so enjoyable. Three-dimensionally, as a sculptor, it makes total sense to me. So I decided I would take the robot, and in 2022, the standard of the art It just reminds me of working with a computer now. Your laptop. You have to double-click or you have to right-click. I don't want to click at all. I want to look at the screen and look at my retina and like a fingerprint and go, Hi, Dr. Clapper, what can I do for you today? And talk back to me. That, to me, is artificial intelligence. That's That's where this is all headed. But right now, it's a transition with the clicking and the right-click and the double-click. And that's how I feel about a lot of this stuff. There's no doubt in my mind that the future will involve more and more of this robotic type of technology. But I don't want to live in a world where I still won't have a doctor who will listen to me, just like Michael Crichton said. People just want you to talk to them and listen, and instead we give them pills. So he frustratingly left medicine. Here's the soundbite, I think, is where he says it. You know, but when you think about it, why do they want the time? What what does the time mean? They want time. They want to talk. They want to have some. I think that's that's a kind of healing. It is. That can occur. A verbal communication. More and more, medical school became simply material for the thrillers he'd begun writing, as his insistent questioning at Harvard made him a rebel and a pariah. I was becoming accustomed by my third year to often eating meals in the cafeteria alone. Michael Crichton got frustrated with the way medicine was. It's all about procedures. It's all about the medicines, the pills. 
It's not about the verbal communication. So he went the next step. He said, then I'm going to focus on that verbal communication about medicine because it is a form of healing. In his case, it became an entertainment for us because he made Jurassic Park. And he saw dramatically his life change as a third-year medical student wrote a book, a screenplay, The Andromeda Strain, similar to the coronavirus, basically, is the story. But he did it in the 60s. And he realized he was, in a, in a way, healing people, giving them comfort in a story. He went from being a lonely guy eating in the cafeteria, now everybody wanted his autograph. And then I sold this book, The Andromeda Strain, and everyone wanted to have lunch with me. It's a very creepy experience. The Andromeda Strain, in the 1960s, his first giant book and movie deal. He left medicine and moved to Hollywood, but this intense Easterner was like a Calvinist at a carnival. Because success seemed so easy and so empty, Crichton plunged into the first of a series of depressions, and three marriages ended in bruising divorce. Yeah, he really took a beating because he went his own way. But thank God he did. Thank God he brought the world of storytelling from medicine out. But what I love about the Jack Klugman story is he saw the fertile grounds as a patient, as brother as a patient. I just love it. And Clappervision is sort of that extension. Storytelling in surgery, painting pictures. Let's do some clap revision. Let's extend the segment with Will. Coming up next, we'll do some clap revision and explain some of the questions that he has for the Weekend Warrior. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Hey, Sedano, you know there's no better way to start your Saturday than when my guy, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m., Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. It's time for Clapper Killies. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Where has this been my whole life? Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. We could be heroes. Actually, last Sunday... I was a bit of a hero because the waves in Ventura, where I surf, were big, like really big. But fortunately, when the waves weren't coming in as sets, it was glassy. So you know me. I'm so desperate because I only give myself one day to go in the ocean. I was going. So as soon as it lulled out, I jumped in high tide, smashing into the staircase. It was rough. But I paddled as far as hard as I could to get out, out, out. And then the sets started to come in, and they were massive. And I'm right next to this buddy of mine, Alex. I said, Alex, holy smokes. I mean, they're so big, nobody else is going in the water. He said, yep. But when you catch one, he says, it's amazing. You can ride the wave the length of a football field, but it's scary. So I was out there with him, you know, and then I'm looking at the horizon line. And all of a sudden, poof, these three-story apartment buildings start basically rolling in. And I paddled as hard as I could. Paddle, paddle, paddle. The spray, the wind. 
And all of a sudden, it's like God taps you on the shoulder and says, Robbie, you can stop paddling. I'm taking over. And you feel that energy in that water lock into that surfboard like a roller coaster getting locked in to go up the hill. I stood up and I rode this wave right into the sun because the sun is just coming up. I get in the water when it's dark. So it's, it's just beyond first light and beyond dawn. It's, it's really sunrise. I could barely see as I'm looking right into the sun, flying down the wave. I was in the water for two hours and I only caught four waves, but they were massive. When I came out, one of my colleagues, friends, Robert Chapman, had his tripod out. He's an amazing photographer. You can follow him on Instagram or on Twitter, but he loves Instagram. Robert Chappie, Chappie 2, I think it's called. He said, uh, "Those were, you did great out there, uh, Doc. I got, a, I got a couple of shots of you. I'm going, oh, my God, Robert Chapman took my picture. Are you kidding I put it on Twitter. I put it on Instagram, the picture he took. I was just so excited. But as I'm talking to him, apropos to the song Hero, I look and I notice, and so does Robert Chapman, that a guy way out in the lineup, wiped out, lost his board, ripped his leash. That's how big they were. And now his board, without him on it, was riding the waves, being thrown into the rocks. Well, that's what ruins the surfboard, is the rocks banging it, smashing it, cutting it open. It's only fiberglass. It's splinters. And if it's going to happen, you need to rescue the board as soon as possible before more damage occurs. So I excused myself from talking to Robert and I walked further down the promenade to where I saw this board was about to come into the rocks. And there, sure enough, you see the surfer swimming as hard as he can, riding the waves, body surfing as much as he could to catch up. So now he grabbed the board at least, so it wasn't smacking into the rocks anymore, but it did get a pretty bad treatment. But what's he going to do now? He can't. He can't climb out. He's he's in trouble because the board doesn't float anymore. So I leaned over the railing of the promenade, and I looked at him, and he looked at me. Without nonverbal communication, I reached out my hands so he understood. Pass me the board from the beach. I'm up here on the boardwalk, and I'll take it over the boardwalk fence and rescue your board from more damage and it's it was awesome because i looked at him he looked at me i know that you know that you know that you know that i need help and it was a charitable beautiful act of kindness and he thanked me so i was a hero for one person a total stranger last sunday in this last segment, since it was so much fun already to do it once, before I can tell more stories, and don't forget I have to tell you, I can tell you now where the apple is, so I won't make you wait, and I also want to tell you what we're going to do next week. But Lindy Yui, who I've written three books with, 
sent her assistant Gigi because I knew I was going to talk about medicine and storytelling, and that means an apple a day keeps the doctor away. The greatest caramel apple in L.A., and I've had them all, Farmer's Market. I've been to every one of them. There's nothing like a Granny Smith apple. That tartness, that sourness, you then coat it in sugary caramel and cinnamon. Oh, my God. So the best caramel apple you will find in Los Angeles, and you can see a picture of it on on uh, Twitter that I posted, is from the Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory. They have locations throughout Los Angeles. We had to schlep to Commerce, wherever that is, to, because apparently they have a store there. But I think there's one in Camarillo as well. But go get the particular flavor called Apple Pie Caramel Apple. You will thank me a thousand times. Whatever it costs, pay it. Take it home. Take a knife and slice a wedge of it. Put it in your mouth. And I promise you, you'll close your eyes and you'll see what heaven is like. Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory. I'll do next week uh, a little bit later. But, Will, let's do some clap revision together. What's what's a question that you might have where there's a will, there's a way? Well, I mean, I'm not sure I can follow up the uh, greatest <laughs> caramel apples. I, honestly, I'm uh, you know kind of ready to get out of here and go get one myself. <laughs> Just makes your mouth water. But uh, in the true spirit of the Weekend Warriors show, this yes. is something that can apply to all Weekend Warriors, or at least some of us anyway. I myself am one of them. As a recreational basketball player, you know, mm-hmm. play at the at the gym and a couple weekend rec leagues, things like that. That's great. So I've got some interesting. Will can you touch the rim? Can you dunk a basketball? No. Okay. I can't. Good. I wish I could. Uh, I can okay. get close, but no. Then you play Jewish basketball, which is great. <laughs> Thank you. I can relate to that. There you, you go. Right. So on the topic of that and, and and some of the other sports, we see things all the time like. Arm sleeves, shooting sleeves, uh, knee sleeves, mm-hmm. kinetic tape, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Does it actually do anything, or are we all just trying to look like we know what we're doing <laughs> when we actually don't? Or are you like Allen Iverson, where the theory was that he had so many gang tattoos on his arm that he was forced by David Stern to wear the sleeves because those tattoos were too offensive at that time? That That's, you know, I don't know if that's true, but that was definitely the rumor of why Allen Iverson wore those sleeves. But no, they actually serve a very elegant and beautiful uh, purpose. And here's what it is. I will see people in my office who come to me with bone-on-bone knees, for example, where their cartilage is gone, their knees bow-legged or knock-kneed, they can't straighten it, they can't... The whole joint is shot and they're coming to me for surgery, which I will do. If you go on the website, you'll see a woman a day after the surgery riding her bike in the neighborhood. Great surgeries that I can do. But very reliable people like you will come to my office wearing, the Yiddish word is a shmata, which is not a formal knee brace with hinges and all that. No, just a simple $10 sleeve. Mm-hmm. And you know what they'll say to me, Will? Dr. Clapper, this makes me feel more secure. And I'll go, okay, you're Will Orms. You're you're a reasonable person. Are you kidding me? How could this possibly make you feel better? 
in any way. Is it just because it's warm so increases the blood flow? Does it just look nice? What is it about this that can make you feel better? Because it's ridiculous. But actually, it's not. And here's why. Invisibly hidden in the ligaments, you can only see it under the electron microscope, is a, is a sensor, a receptor for proprioception, for position sense. In other words, if you're driving your car right now, uh, don't touch your feet, drive, use your, I don't need any accidents here. But if you want to look at one of your hands, you and don't close your eyes, but if you closed your eyes, without your eyes open, without seeing and looking at your wrist, you can tell whether your wrist is extended or flexed. You can tell the position of your joint, your wrist, your elbow, your shoulder, whatever it is, with your eyes closed. Your brain is under surveillance of your joints by these receptors. They're called Golgi tendons. The problem with arthritis, not only does it create pain, swelling, stiffness, limited motion, deformity, limping, for example, in your lower extremities, but one of the casualties is not just the cartilage, not just the tendons, the muscles, and all the anatomy, but the microscopic invisible sensor called the Golgi tendon is one of the first things that gets destroyed by the arthritis. So your brain, even though your ligaments are still working, let's say, but you lost all the cartilage, your knee has degenerated, your elbow has degenerated, you also have lost, even though the ligaments are still there, that sensor for position sense. So when you wear K-tape, the sleeve, those simple schmatas on your joints, they touch the cutaneous nerves, those very little nerves that live for fine touch on your skin and have a different pathway to your brain for position sense. So you've lost the main information gatherer for your brain for position sense, the Golgi tendon, because the joint is destroyed, but your skin is still okay and still can feel light touch. So by wearing that sleeve, you still are giving the brain it so you feel more secure from the lack of security from the destroyed joint. Does that help? Yeah, absolutely. So that's the reason real life reliable people will say, forget about how it looks. It really helps me feel more secure, even though the stabilizing structures are just fine. Okay. So it's another case where what is invisible still matters. The tide, the wind, the things in life that Leonardo da Vinci longed to understand were the things in life that were invisible. And certainly... What's invisible today is the phone system for our show. But we will have Dr. Bernstein come on another time uh, because I owe it to her, and she's an awesome person as our guest. Let's talk a little bit about next week. Next week, God willing, the phones will work and everything will be you know, technically okay. My guest is the president of the largest orthopedic company in the world, Zimmer Biomet. 
And I love their system for hip surgery. I really do. I use a different company for knees. I get to use whatever I want, which is what's really great. I'm not uh, a consultant. I don't want to be. There's no conflict of interest. I get to use a Lexus and not a Volkswagen for the patients I take care of. And I love that independence. So I love their system for hips, their dual mobility hips that I use. And so the president's going to come on. I mean, it doesn't get any cooler than that. So I've already started to think, what am I going to talk to him about? Well, you know I love the world of art, the world of sports, the world of surgery. Where in art do you see that success, that destiny? I mean, he was in high school like the rest of us, but he became the president of Zimmer. How did that happen? How does that happen? The destiny, the successful person. So I'm fascinated by Bob Dylan in the world of art and music. And on 60 Minutes, I remember Ed Bradley sitting down with Bob Dylan and saying, you wrote Blowing in the Wind in 10 minutes. How'd you do that? You know what Bob Dylan said? I don't know. It just came through me. But he also changed his name from Robert Zimmerman to Bob Dylan because of destiny, that he knew he'd be something. And in the world of sports, it'll be about Dr. Frank Job, my hero, my teacher. Until then, I'm going to leave you with Volari, which means I'm singing and I'm flying, which we do each and every Saturday. Thanks for telling your friends. Thanks for telling your family. Thanks for being the doctor in the house now, because you know Clapper Vision. Until next Saturday, I'll see you on the radio.